us to our message, which is the Bema Seat, or the Bema Judgment of Christ. Uh, we've done a little series where last week we looked at the different degrees of damnation. I did a three-part series on that years ago. I kind of just did one message on the degrees of damnation, and the Bible does speak of different degrees of punishment. I'll mention a little bit about that in this study because it fits with another scripture I'm going to share. But we, we wanted to get into rewards, and there's something that's not spoken of often. You don't usually hear too many messages on rewards and what the Bible says about rewards. It's very rare that you hear messages on rewards these days. And they could be for a number of reasons. Uh, many people have noticed that. There used to be books out on rewards and people used to talk about what the Bible says about rewards because there's a lot of information in the Bible that God's communicated to us about rewards. And it's interesting because in this day and age, we don't hear messages on it so much, but it's in the text. And I'm one of those guys for years where when others were doing messages on rewards, I didn't do much because we go verse by verse through scripture. Did a lot of topical messages, I still do, and we go verse by verse through scripture as well. But uh, I had my own reasons. Uh, I always preached the word, but as far as doing like a series on how God will reward us, that's something I did here and there, but not as much as uh, perhaps others back then. And now not a lot of people are doing it at all. And I thought, you know what? It's there in the text. And uh, there's reasons, though, as to why rewards aren't being preached and why I'm realizing, wow, this is such an important part of Scripture. So we'll be looking at that in a minute as well. The Bible has a whole lot to say about it. And we were supposed to preach the whole counsel of God. So I knew, even though sometimes I'd be uncomfortable, because I'm just so happy to get in. How about you? You're just so happy to be saved by God's grace. We know that we deserve wrath. We know that we should be toast. We know that we should be under the wrath of God because we are children of wrath, alienated from God, and we deserve punishment. But Christ, God becomes a man, and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives himself on our behalf. He's slaughtered on the cross to save us. So I'm so happy to be saved and just get in the door. So grateful, and I know many of you are as well. And so to talk about getting rewards and God giving us rewards for things that we've done is, it's kind of not, not embarrassing, but it's like, wow, you know, I'm just happy to be here. So I don't really focus on serving God at all, for the most part, for rewards. However, I came to a point some time ago, I was like, wow, Lord, I just come across this over and over again, and you know far better than me, infinitely better than me. I've got a little pea brain compared to the Lord, uh, so do you. <laughs> because he's got this infinite mind, and there's a reason you put these things here. I just need to understand it better. So uh, I think I do understand a lot better than I did when I used to be very, like, almost bashful about sharing on rewards, you know. Uh, but we'll get into why they're perhaps not preached. Uh, and I think that's one reason, is a lot of people are just happy to get in, happy to be saved by the blood of Christ. Yet it can even sound, you know, pious to say that, because you almost are putting yourself above the scripture if you're saying, hey, you know what, that's not important because I feel this way about it. You can't go there. And I never went there. I was just in a place where it's like, wow, it's kind of hard to just talk about the rewards we're going to get. And it's interesting because since the scriptures say so much about it, and we've been in Revelation chapter 20, where it talks about the books being open and those whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life are cast in the lake of fire. And also it talks about other books being opened which aren't the book of life, and people being judged for their deeds outside of those books or out of those books. That's in Revelation 20, which we won't go to because we went, to, we went there last week. But specifically, what are those books? We can't know for sure because the text doesn't say. 
but there's two very good possibilities. One is either the deeds that those folks had done uh, that are at the great white throne judgment, all the sins they'd committed, or the commands, those books are filled with the commands of the sins, uh, commands that they had broken, or both. We can't know for sure. It's very likely it's both uh, because it's books, plural, and they're judged out of those books for their deeds, and then everyone's name who's not found in the Lamb's Book of Life is thrown into the lake of fire. But we understood, we found out that that happens after the, at the great white throne judgment, which is over a thousand years after Christ returns. That's when the sea gives up its dead. And, and Hades, the underworld where the wicked are being kept, give up its dead, their dead, and they're raised to the resurrection of damnation just over a thousand years after Christ returns. Our judgment precedes that judgment. And it's not a judgment based on damnation. When Christ returns, we are judged. And we stand before the Bema seat. Uh, we stand before the Lord. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every person according to his deeds. Revelation twenty two twelve, last chapter of the book of Revelation, last chapter of the Bible. Behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to reward each one of, uh, as his work deserves. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first, the last, the beginning, and the end. Hebrews 11.6 says that the Lord God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And we see that Jesus says, my reward is with me when I return. And when we get to Revelation 11, verses 15 through 19, we see the blowing of the last trumpet. Paul said at the blowing of the last trumpet uh, that the dead in Christ would rise, right? Uh, that we would all be caught up actually to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, and I show you a mystery. We should not all sleep, but we should change in the twinkling of an eye. I'm conflating that passage in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 54 with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and following. But uh, at the last trumpet, we read in the Revelation 11, at the seventh trumpet, uh, verses 11 through 15, that when the Lord returns, it's time for him to judge the saints and to reward those who fear his name and so forth, small and great. So that's what we're looking forward to, is Christ's return, the second coming of Christ. And that's when the believer will be rewarded. There's a lot of emphasis on that. So we dare not ignore that. In fact, we should rejoice in what the Lord has planned because it's something actually quite amazing. And it's, a, it's our Father God uh, and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, rewarding us and blessing us for the good things that you've done for His glory out of pure and righteous motives because you love the Lord, because you're responding to who he is and how awesome he is and what he's done. And we read about that judgment in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But guess what? It's not like you're totally off the hook. Even though it's not for salvation, when Christ comes, uh, the wicked are slaughtered for the most part. All those who have the mark of the beast are just wiped out at Megiddo and so forth. Uh, they're, they're the, uh, those who had not, not taken the mark of the beast in distant lands, young kids and so forth, that will go into the, uh, the millennial reign, will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, will reign with Christ for a thousand years, and the Lord will, will stand before the Lord. But we're not off the hook in regard to being judged for our behavior in regard to reward or loss of reward. Okay, there's something heavy going on here still. In fact, listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. And following. Therefore, we also have an, as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Whether we're at home with the Lord, 
We're absent. We, our aim is to be pleasing to the Lord. Amen. Verse 10. For we must all, we must all, that's each and every one of us, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The word judgment in the Greek there is bima. Before the bima seat of Christ. Okay. So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds, paid back for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. So people are rewarded, believers, in their bodies for what they've done, whether good or bad. This is serious stuff here. It's not that you just stand before God and it's like, okay, here's all these presents you get for the good things you did for the Lord. You get rewarded for the good and then you lose reward for the bad. Now, Paul had addressed this with the Corinthians in the book prior to 2 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul says, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, and by the way, the context here is talking specifically, first and foremost, to Christian leaders, if you back up and you catch the context about how they build on the foundation, how they build on Christ, but it applies to every believer, each and every man, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it. The day is the day of the Lord when he returns. Because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Wow. If any man work which has, he's built on it, meaning on the foundation remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So I want to look at this whole concept. And this will be a two-part message because I, I really thought, you know what, I'm going to need two parts to really deal with this. And you know, we use a lot of scripture, so you'll get two hefty doses of what God's word says about rewards because I, I think, I don't think I've ever done, I've done three-part series on the, on the degrees of punishment. Okay, at least do a two-part series. Uh, and, and we also talked about this last week as well on rewards, although rewards was a smaller part of the message. And I want to talk about the Bema Seat Judgment, but we won't actually be able to dig into these two texts I've just read until next week because there's so much I want to say about what the Bible says, what the Lord Jesus said, what the Scriptures say, the apostles and the prophets about rewards. You're going to stand before God. I'm going to stand before God. If you don't know Jesus, or you do know Jesus, you're going to stand before God. If you don't know him and you continue to reject him, you'll stand at the great white throne judgment. You'll be resurrected to damnation and thrown in the lake of fire. Don't let that happen. While you have breath, seek the Lord Jesus Christ while you can. But if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you're seeking him, you're trusting him, you're saved by his grace through faith. And John chapter 5, verse 24 says, he that, that, he that believes, present tense, he that believes and continues to believe, has passed from death to life and shall not come into condemnation. You will not be condemned because you're trusting Jesus. He's taken the condemnation that you and I deserve upon himself on the cross so we could be accepted in the beloved and be seated in heavenly places and be God, become God's children. God's had favor on us. He's forgiven us through our faith by his grace. And it's, how beautiful is that? Yet, we're promised all these incredible rewards. And if you're a dad or a mom or a mother or a grandmother, uh, you know, at times you have rewarded your children or your grandchildren 
because you just want to bless them. And you have to get your mind around this, that we, we're, we're family, we're the family of God. And he saved us by his grace, so there's no boasting in regard to our salvation, right? We can't brag about the fact that we've been saved by his grace. We have to give all the glory to him. But at the same time, he rewards us for going the extra mile and serving him in ways we ought to be serving him anyway, just because he's a good God. And it's, it's, it's mind-blowing when you think, think about it, but this is an interesting thing that he chooses to do. Uh, and now, back to that question I mentioned addressing, why don't we hear more messages on rewards? Why would you think in this day and age, where 30, 40 years ago, 20, 25, 30 years ago, you heard more messages, people would talk about the concept of rewards more. And yes, one reason I have no doubt, because I know a lot of people feel the way I do, is, is you're so happy to be saved, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, it's not something that we talk about, like, I can't wait to get my rewards in heaven. We talk about, I can't wait to see Jesus, amen? Can't wait to see his face. I can't wait to cast my crown or whatever crowns he gives us before his throne, amen? I can't wait to just give him all the glory and, be, and give him all the praise and be so thankful that I'm there and, and, and meet my brothers and sisters I've never met before and, and, and see people that have passed on before us. And uh, we think of all those things. So that's one reason for sure. But another reason is because there's a lot of wacky theology out there. There's a lot of wacky theology out there that uh, the biblical teaching on rewards doesn't fit into the theology. Uh, I'll give you some examples. Uh, you have the Emerging Church, which we've done a whole video documentary, a documentary called The Submerging Church, which many people have seen. If you haven't seen it, you want to check it out. It's an apostate movement within the church where there's a, uh, I, don't, I don't have time to get into all these, these bad theologies, but let's just say this, is that the focus of the emerging church is not heaven and God's heavenly kingdom and spending eternity with Jesus. It's more about the journey, right? It's more about understanding other religions, you know? It's more about trying to make heaven on earth. And so there's not a lot of focus on being with the Lord and his kingdom, so there wouldn't be a lot of talk, of course, about rewards, which fits also with uh, the social gospel, a lot of people that preach the social gospel rather than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, which also uh, is being neglected by the emerging church. Many of them are into the social gospel. It's about trying to build heaven on earth as well and, and, and the whole, you know, fix everything here. And by the way, a lot of the fixing things, you know, the social justice that many people are running after right now isn't even biblical justice by any stretch of the imagination in some areas. So it's really sad. Another popular theology that's gaining traction right now is kingdom dominion theology. And these typically aren't emergents, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, but guess what? They're not social gospel people either typically. But they're about taking the kingdom of God by political force. And a lot of these guys are preterists and believe the book of Revelation is pretty much already fulfilled. And guess what? We're going to establish the kingdom of God on earth. And we're going to rule the earth. And, and we're going to take over entertainment. We're going to take over politics. We're going to take over the military. And the Christians are going to rule. And well, guess what? If you're all focused on that, you're definitely not focused on, 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 on rewards in heaven. That's another reason. Another reason is because of the, the resurgence of Calvinism, because Calvinism teaches everything's predetermined. And if everything's predetermined, how could there be different degrees of rewards between different believers? Because guess what? Uh, they teach monergism. And the idea of monergism is God's the only real mover. And if he's the only real mover, uh, you're really not doing any good works, you know? Uh, there's no real free will. There's no genuine free will. So why would God reward you? And if he rewarded you for what he did through you, you couldn't have done but anyway, but by him, and it's inevitable, he's basically just rewarding himself. Doesn't make any sense, right? 
That's another reason. Another reason it's not preached is the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel teaches health and with health and wealth gospel. It's called as well. Name it, claim it. So that's all about what? Being affluent and having your riches here and building your treasures on earth. Much of the prosperity gospel is all about being, uh, you know, the king's kid, being little gods, speaking things to existence and, and amassing wealth right now and doing the opposite of what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust do corrupt and thieves break in and steal. This is Matthew, 9, or Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21 in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust do corrupt and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can corrupt and thieves can't break in and steal. But the prosperity gospel is about building your treasures on this earth. So if you're building treasures on this earth and that's your focus, of course, you're not going to be talking a lot about the rewards you get in the heavenly kingdom. Those are some things that I just thought about when I've been prayerfully going through this message and seeking the Lord and asking him, why is this? I confess my part, Lord. And I know a lot of believers sometimes shun this, and I don't shun it, but don't talk about it as much because we are happy to get in. But there's also a lot of bad theologies that cause us to neglect it. And for whatever reason, including just being happy to get in, what I had done years ago for some time, and I still, was, I still preached it because it's in the scripture, but I was just like, oh Lord, I'm happy to get in. I didn't really spend a lot of time on it. But for whatever reason, whatever the reason is, we need to get back to the scripture because God lets us know for a reason the Lord God wants us to know. That he wants to bless you. And not only he, does he want you to rejoice in the, the grace of your salvation, but he also wants you to rejoice in the reality that he's going to bless you beyond what you can even think or conceive uh, with regard to rewards. And it's interesting, that word when Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but Where? treasures in heaven. It's interesting because that whole, the Greek word he uses there is the same Greek word we read in Romans 2, which is about treasure, building up treasures in regard to eternal judgment in the lake of fire forever and ever. In fact, listen to Romans 2, 4, and 5, which kind of relates to last week's message where it talks about different degrees of punishment because in Revelation chapter 20, it talks about the wicked will be judged according to their deeds. Uh, in other words, the judgment will be just. It'll be perfectly righteous, but it'll be according to one's deeds. So people have done greater wickedness. We read in the scripture where Jesus talked about those who had greater sin, Jesus talked about those who had greater condemnation, those who were worthy of more stripes or worse whooping, so to speak, than others. Uh, we talked about different degrees of judgment and how the false teachers, according to Revelation or 2 Peter chapter 2, will, because they've forsaken the right way, will go to the blackest of darkness forever and ever. We talked about apostates. We saw where Jesus talked about the good servant who did not give out meat in due season but turned away from the Lord, had greater judgment. And we talked about uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, after a person received the knowledge of truth but then turned away, it'd be, you know, uh, it talks about how he has severe judgment than the apostate who turned away from Moses because he's traveling with the blood of Christ and it's greater sin, it's greater light, it's greater salvation. How shall we neglect such a great salvation? And we talked about 2 Peter 2. It's better not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to you. It would be better not to have known the way of righteousness, it says, than after knowing the way of righteousness, and Jesus is the way of righteousness, to turn from the holy commandment. 
delivered to you. So we see that there's this whole concept of worse judgment. Well, we also see that with regard to rewards. There's greater rewards. There's different degrees of rewards. And in Romans 2, it talks about this treasuring up of wrath, where the, the wicked are actually treasuring wrath. They're building more and more wrath. It's like a dam that is, instead of having water, it has wrath. It continues to be filled with wrath. And for that dam to break one day, and then all the wrath that's accumulated is poured out upon that person for eternity. Quite a striking passage. Romans 2, verses 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul warned, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? God's kindness and what God did in the person of Jesus Christ should make us fall on our knees in thanksgiving because of his kindness and and we should be brought to repentance. But, verse 5, for those who refuse to repent, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up or treasuring up. Some translations have storing, some have treasuring. Up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. The New King James Version says you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. This is the same Greek word that's used in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, as I mentioned, where Jesus says, don't treasure up for yourselves treasure on earth, but make for yourselves treasures in heaven. And the Greek word is thorizo, and it's from the root word thorsaros, and in secular Greek, that thesaurus was a treasure chamber, a storage room, a granary, a strong box, a, basically a treasure chest of sorts. Uh, sometimes they were found in ancient temples where gifts were put in uh, treasure chambers where gifts were put and taxes of various kinds and monies would be stored. So the, this was a common word in those days and that just simply meant it could be used in a beautiful way. Paul, and Jesus talks about using in the sense of treasuring up, uh, building up treasures in heaven through doing good things for God's glory. But Paul uses the same word and says, don't treasure up wrath. That you're treasuring up wrath if you're rejecting Christ. And it's very, very important that we see how serious this is. Paul used the same word in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, where he says the first couple of verses on the first day of the week, that's the Lord's day first day of the week, each one of you is to put aside and save Thorizo as he may prosper. Supposed to store up. So each week on the first day of the week, they were to store up, they were to build up their storage, uh, their money so they could give to uh, the church there at Corinth and and for Paul's, uh, the the ministry of the Apostle Paul and him getting the the, the, uh, money to the poor and those in need and for the sake of the gospel. Jesus used it in Luke chapter 12, verse 21. Remember the rich man who said, man, he was ready to retire. He said, man, I have so much wealth. I'm going to build these barns and just fill my barns with all this wealth that I have. And, and Jesus said, thou fool, this very day your soul is required of you. Just when he was planning on just living for himself the rest of his life, probation's over. Okay, that shows, don't need, you, don't need any more time to see who you are. You're not going to serve God. Jesus warned about those who are not rich toward God, but are rich toward themselves. And Jesus said of this man in Luke 12, 21, using the same Greek word, thorizo, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure, thorizo, for himself 
and is not rich toward God. And what's interesting, you either store up treasure toward God in his kingdom and you're rewarded wonderfully in the future or you're storing up wrath by living for yourself of a treasure trove of God's wrath, a storage of God's wrath to be poured out upon you. In fact, James uses this of the wicked, uh, the rich who didn't really, who didn't really fear and love the Lord. Uh, he gives a similar warning to the rich declaring in James chapter 5, verse 3, quote, Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire in the last days that you have stored up, therizo, your treasure. Wow, that's pretty heavy. Think about that. So it's interesting when you see the play on this, this word, how the Holy Spirit has used it, who inspired the scripture itself. Uh, this is quite amazing. So it's important that we recognize that this flood of wrath, guess what? Everybody that doesn't know Jesus has built up this, this dam of wrath that's being ready to pour out of, be poured upon him because guess what? He's a just God and he's going to reward us according to our works. And every single day, you commit sins against God. Every time you do things contrary to his will, you live for yourself, and you just put yourself before God every day. That's idolatry. Throughout the day, you're committing constant idolatry, and you're building up this storage of God's wrath, and he's a just God. It's going to be poured out upon you. But he's forbearing. He's patient. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's giving you an opportunity right now to repent and craft the Lord Jesus Christ and say, God, have mercy on me. I put my trust in Christ who paid for my sins. So I don't want to. I don't have to pay for my sins because he paid for them. I, I don't want to burn. I don't want to uh, receive your wrath. I thank you that you bore it or you sent your son to bear it in my place, Father. So I embrace Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior so I can pass from death to life and share an eternal life and not suffer the eternal wrath of God. So we've got to be really careful. You know, people think, hey, it's just, oh, you know, I'm just going to have a good time, live for myself. They have no idea what's coming. They have no idea what's coming. They think, oh, just sin is just, there's no consequences. Like how many criminals are in prison right now that thought they could just get away with everything? And that's just man's law. I was reading, and actually, uh, who was it? It was Adrian Rogers. Uh, he's a pastor that had died some years ago. And uh, he was sharing a story uh, about when he was a little kid. And when he was a little boy, his dad took him and his brother down to the, 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 you know, the little convenience store that was there, or the little you know, town store. And there was a Mr. Oliver there. And he remembers going and, you know, he's a little, you know, I guess he was a young, young kid. I don't know how old he was, 12, 13, or what have you. Not sure. He's with his brother, and his, he noticed for the first time that his dad just kind of walked by with a bag of groceries and just didn't even stop and just said to the clerk, uh, charge it. And he said, you know, shook his head, yeah, okay. And his dad left, and he was amazed. He never heard those two words before in his life. And he said to his brother, he goes, did you hear what dad said? He goes, no, he goes, he just walked out with those groceries and he just said, charge it. And he just gave it to him. And he was amazed. He thought he'd found the key to Fort Knox, he said. And then uh, he came back the next day with his brother. They got a bunch of cookies and candy and walked through the line, just kept going, said, charge it. And he recognized them because he knew their father and he charged it. And the boys didn't really understand what that really meant. And then they did this day after day after day after day 
until uh, Adrian Rogers says his dad had called him into his office at home, went to one of the rooms there, and he said he received the most painful, or a painful, I guess, a lesson, I should say, in finance <laughs> that he said he'd never forget, you know. There was payback, okay? And when it comes to messing with the living God and defying him, and we're not little boys that don't really understand what's going on. When you've passed that age of accountability and you're doing your own thing, it's coming back. It's coming back to you. And you need to repent and get right with the Lord because it's imperative that we are right with the Lord. Now, let's continue to make sure we absolutely understand there's a difference between belief and behavior. We're saved by grace through faith. That's the believer is saved through putting their trust in Christ. Amen? So we're not condemned based on our works because we've received salvation. But it's interesting, the scriptures that talk about how we're saved by grace through faith and won't be condemned also emphasize the importance of doing good works. And there's been such an emphasis. And I believe this is another reason that rewards aren't really taught in the church anymore the way they ought to be, is there's been such an emphasis on being saved by grace through faith uh, there's a lot of ignorance or a lot of neglect to what the Bible talks about in regard to sanctification, becoming Christ-like, and uh, doing works that glorify Christ and good works. Because we don't want to make people think they're saved by their good works, so we just kind of sometimes ignore that. And I've never done that, okay? I've always emphasized the importance of doing good works. But we want to always make the distinction that salvation is through faith and belief is Different than behavior, good behavior is a result of genuine belief, biblical, godly, Christ-like uh, behavior that befits the kingdom of God and serving Christ. Listen to what it says in Titus chapter 3, what Paul wrote, verse 5. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness. You catch that? He saved us not on the basis of deeds that we've done in righteousness. That's not why he saved us, but in accordance with his mercy by the washing of regeneration, being born again, and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So we're, he saved us not on the basis of good deeds that we've done, so we know we're saved by grace. Otherwise, we'd all be doomed. But guess what? The same book says a few verses earlier, one of the reasons he saved us was for what? Titus chapter 2, verse 14. If you just back up a few verses, it said, who gave, meaning Jesus, who gave himself to redeem us. He gave himself on the cross to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager for good deeds. Did you catch that? He redeemed you from lawless deeds so you personally and myself and all believers will be eager to do good deeds. That's what he wants us to be. He wants you to actually be eager, you know. He wants you to be eager, earnest, you know, have a desire to be motivated to do good deeds because after all, God, who didn't owe us anything, gave himself for us on the cross to save us. And we owe him everything. We can never pay it back. And we don't do good works to pay it back. We could never pay it back. But we should be eager to do good works to say thank you. Every time you do something good for the Lord's, the Lord's glory, it should be a way of saying thank you to the Lord for salvation, for redemption. It's a beautiful thing. So we see this play on, on good deeds in, in Titus chapter 2 and 3. We see the same thing in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, By grace are you saved? You're saved by grace. Through faith, not through your works, right? 
By grace you save through faith in that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, it's a free gift. Not of works, lest anybody should, lest anyone should boast. So he's very, very clear, one of the clearest passages in all the Bible, that we're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. However, the very next verse says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, amen? Goes on to say, even though we're not saved by our works, we're saved through faith, through belief, that our behavior is something that should be modified because of the saving grace that we received. So he goes on to say, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should or would walk in them. So God had a plan not only to save you, but to use you for his glory. And it's incongruent to be saved by his grace and not be zealous or eager to do good works. It's incongruent to say, oh, praise God, I'm saved, but not recognize you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So these good works are important. And one of the reasons he lets, one of the ways he lets us know how important they are is he emphasizes over and over again the fact that he wants to reward you for them, which is amazing because he didn't have to. Because after all, Jesus said, once you've done the will of the Father, you've only really done your duty. That's pretty heavy. That's why I think even though we're being rewarded, we're really only doing what we should have been doing anyway. And that's pretty, pretty heavy when you think about it. So that's why he's this good, loving father that only saves us by his grace, but says, hey, you know what? Do what you're supposed to do, and I'm going to throw in extra blessings anyway that you're going to blow your mind. Yeah, blow your mind. Because it's interesting, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, it says we obtain, basically, we do good works for his glory, and he's going to reward you throughout the ages to come. In fact, in chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, it says, with good will render service as to the Lord and not to people. So that's the motive. That's, if you want to make sure your good deeds don't go up in smoke when you stand before the bema seat of Christ, when you, and we're going to get into that word, Greek word for you know, bema and so forth in the next study when we look, get even deeper into the reward study. But uh, you want to make sure that you're, you're, you know, it's not like wood, hay, and stubble that's just going to just be flammable and just... <laughs> There's going to be a bunch of smoke on Judgment Day for you. But that's going to be like, like gold and silver and precious stones. Well, guess what? I, li- I believe a lot of the answer is right here. With good will, render service as to the Lord, not to people. In other words, make sure what you're doing is for the Lord. Amen? That's the key. And you know what? When you make sure it's for the Lord, you won't get all bent out of shape when people don't say thank you. You won't get all bent, sha- bent out of shape when people don't pat you on the back. You won't get all bent out of shape if someone doesn't say, hey, good message, Joe. You'll be like, it's for the Lord anyway, amen? Or, wow, way to watch those kids or, or you know, way, way to, you know, go on a mission trip or, no, you're doing it for the Lord, amen? I'd much rather, I'm just going to be honest with you, I'd much rather have a well done, good and faithful servant from the Lord than from anybody else, Amen? Because that's where it really counts. So with goodwill, render service as to the Lord, not to people. That was a problem with the Pharisees. Remember, they were doing things to be seen of men, right? And Jesus said, you have your reward. That's why those rewards would go up in, or I should say, what they did would go up on, in smoke on the day of judgment because they were doing it for men. 
with goodwill, render service, ask the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever, and I love this, listen to this, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, he will receive this back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Doesn't matter who you are, slave or free person. He says, do it with goodwill to the Lord. Then he says something very important, knowing that whatever good thing which each one does, each believer, he will receive back from the Lord whether slave or free. In other words, now that tells me something really heavy. That tells me that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who inspired the scripture, wants us to do good things knowing it's a command. This is a command from God. That's why I realized, wow, this is so important to the Lord. He wants us to know something when we're doing good works out of goodwill for him and not for people. He wants us to know that the Lord's going to pay us back. Can God lie? No. Bible says God cannot lie, amen. And when God pays you back good, how does the Lord give? Pressed down, shaken up, and flowing over. How does the God of the universe give? It's going to blow you, blow you away. In Ephesians, it talks about also how God's going to make known his grace to us throughout the ages to come. That just blows me away. So, you want to hear Matthew 25, 21. His master said to him, Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. And last week we talked a little bit about the different talents that were given to different people. And based on what they did with the talents, the more they did for God's glory, the more cities they were given, they were given charge over. Okay? We're, we're going to be busy in God's kingdom. We're not going to be sitting on clouds, eating bonbons and, you know, playing harps, just you know, checking things out for eternity. No, man, we're going to be, there's going to be all joy. There's going to be no sadness. This is going to be an amazing blessing, but we're going to be busy for the Lord in his, in his uh, kingdom. Listen to some of the rewards, th- some of the things God rewards. This is pretty cool. He re- rewards uh, those involved in prison ministry. In Matthew chapter 25, before he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Or I should say after this, he goes on to talk about the sheep that he puts on his right, it's the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And the sheep are those who, one of the things many of them do is visit those who are in prison because of ministry. They're caring for their brethren. They're feeding the poor. The least of these, my brethren, what you've done, least of these, my brethren, you've done unto me. In Hebrews 10, 34, we read, For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property knowing that you have for yourselves a better and lasting possession. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Now, it's interesting. Uh, they visited those who were in prison. They accepted joyfully the seizure of their property. Okay? There's not only a reward for prison ministry, uh, there's also a reward for closet ministry. What's closet ministry? Romans or Matthew 6, 6. But as for you, when you pray, go in your inner room or your closet. Close your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your, reward, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's also reward for enduring persecution. Luke chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. All those, by the way, before I mention Luke 6, 22 and 23, I quote it or read it. Remember, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, when horrible, in the last days, terrible times will come and, and how they'll be haters of good and all this other stuff and without family love, right? But it says, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus, quite a few more verses down around verse 12, 
All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, amen? So if you live a godly life for Jesus, you're going to be persecuted to one degree or another, amen? If you're not ever being persecuted throughout your Christian walk, well, you're probably not shining the light of Jesus the way you probably should be. You don't want to be an undercover Christian, okay? Uh, there's no such thing as an undercover Christian who spends their whole life hiding the light of Jesus, you know? Christians means you follow Christ, and um, it's just amazing when you think about the beauty of what he's talking about here, because he says, well, suffer persecution, but there's beauty here, because guess what? You're able to enter into the sufferings of the Lord. You're able to identify with Jesus. You're able to, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit will rest upon you. There's a, lot of, there's a beautiful theology of suffering in the scripture, which we also need to appreciate more, where the Holy Spirit will rest upon us when we suffer for Christ's name because of persecution. I remember when I was in Israel, uh, I've shared this story before, and I didn't plan on sharing in this message, but it just clicked in my mind because I was reminded by a brother, and I needed the reminder because we had several Jews who were very upset that we were sharing the gospel on Ben Yehuda Street. And Ben Yehuda is the man who restored Hebrew to the Jewish nation. And uh, we're in Ben Yehuda Street's a lot like Third Street out here in California where we go and share the gospel from time to time. And Ben is just hopping, you know, just busy with a bunch of young Jewish people. And you'll see, you know, guys and gals in their 20s or so walking by with machine guns and stuff. And, and we're witnessing the Jews. And there are those who are hostile toward Gentiles and Jews sharing Mashiach, sharing Messiah, sharing Jesus. And sometimes you run into the Orthodox Jews, you know, and uh, they can be very antagonistic. And we ran into a group of them. And uh, I, we were sharing with a young man I'd been sharing with earlier. And a young man I'd been sharing with earlier, I was, he was part of this, this uh, Orthodox school. And, you know, maybe he was in his early 20s or so. And he was very interested. I was sharing a lot of typology from the Old Testament. Showed him Jesus throughout the Old Testament. And then he saw me and we began to talk again. And I was with a brother from the Bible Society bookstore there that I'd met, met when I was uh, looking for books there in the Holy Land. And he realized I was going out sharing the gospel. I had a good chat with him. He said he wanted to join me. So he's sharing with me. It was great because he knew fluent Hebrew. And he's sharing the gospel in Hebrew with this guy that I'm sharing with. Before you knew it, we had a, a nice little crowd of what were called anti-missionaries. Said that on their t-shirts in Hebrew. You know, had no idea. He said, yeah, they're anti-missionaries. Walkie-talkies, they're assembling around us. And they began to threaten us. And they were speaking, he, the brother was speaking in Hebrew to uh, the Orthodox Jews. And he's telling me, don't talk to this guy anymore. And he, I had him on the hook, man. I was like trying to reel him in, you know. And I'm like, wait a minute. He goes, yeah, stop, stop. And I stopped for two minutes. And I went back, man, and started sharing again. I probably shouldn't have. Because he was so close. And he's telling me to cut it again. So I stopped again. And then before you knew it, we were being ushered down the street, you know. And as we were being ushered down the street, Crazy things were happening. I mean, to the point where uh, one of them grabbed a piece of asphalt, you know, to stone us to death, you know. And uh, that was kind of crazy. And then a couple of the others had stopped him and made him put it down. But they were all on our tail. And I don't know if they wanted to put him put it down because it was still daylight or not. It was nighttime, but there were lights there because we're getting to a darker part of town to wait to then or because they're like, yeah, let's not kill these guys. But I was like, ooh, Lord. And there was a point where they began to hammer, one particular guy began to hammer the guy I was standing next to, walking with. You know, the guy from the 
Bible Society bookstore. It began to just hit him in the shoulder over and over again. And there were plenty of people around at that point. And he's hitting them. And he had, they had all their people there. I mean, they're, they're following us. And, and the brother I was with, he's courageous though because he was yelling. I'm like, what are you yelling in Hebrew? He goes, I'm sharing the gospel. He hit again, you know. And I'm this uh, Gentile. They could tell I was not a Jew probably. And because I, you know, spoke only English and so forth. And uh, they weren't hitting me. And I was getting a little upset. Not because I wanted to be hit, but I was just like feeling like I'm being useless. I can't let this guy get hit, but I can't retaliate and get in the flesh. I need to be a witness to Jesus. You know, what did Jesus do? What did the apostles do? They didn't go to blows and stuff. But I just stopped and turned around and stopped him. I said, hey, wait a second. And they just all kind of stopped right there. I said, leave him alone, man. And I didn't know what was going to happen. And you know what he said to me? Joe, we're blessed. Just got to know this guy at the bookstore. I think it was the day before. He goes, Joe, we're blessed. We're blessed. I thought, okay, because he's getting hit harder and harder. I mean, the guy that was hitting him was pretty big, biggest guy on their side. And I said, okay, if he can, he's going to take it. He's going to say, because I, I wasn't going to go to blows or anything, but I was just trying to stop the hostility and help my brother, you know. And it was like 12 against 2 at that point, you know. And he said, Joe, we're blessed. And I knew what he said, because guess what? He knew the scripture and he knew exactly what scripture he was thinking of. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talked about how you're blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 22, Jesus said, Blessed are you when the people hate you and when they exclude you and insult you and scorn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice on that day and jump for joy. Behold, your reward is great in heaven. Your what? Your reward is great in heaven. Not you have a little bit of reward in heaven, not you get some reward. Your reward is great in heaven. Every time he got whacked, you know, his reward was greater in heaven, I believe. For their fathers used to treat the prophets the same way. On the other hand, Jesus says, woe unto you and all men speak evil of you. By the way, in case you're wondering what happened, we lost them. And the way we lost them was we boogied into the Muslim quarter. My buddy, you know, landlord guy, he goes, Joe, he goes, let's not go back to where you're staying because we were staying at Christ Church. And because they'd follow us there. He says, let's go this way. And all of a sudden they stopped like they had all hit a wall, an invisible wall. They stopped at the corner and watched us. I go, what happened? He goes, we're in the Muslim quarter. They don't want to come in the Muslim quarter. I'm like, wow, that was shrewd, you know. And, uh, but the Lord protected us. I don't know what would have happened. But that was nothing compared to what the apostle Paul went through, you know, stoned and left for dead, right? Peter crucified upside down. You know, uh, uh, Stephen stoned to death as Paul before he became the apostle Paul and he was Saul the terrorist, oversaw his stoning. Uh, Believers go through a whole lot of things that, and you know, if there's people that get tortured for Christ, of course they should be rewarded, amen? The Lord wants to reward them. They're tortured, they're in prison sometimes for years. Nobody ever knows their name except those who use it as a cuss word along with the name of Jesus. And you think they're not going to be rewarded by the Lord? He says he's going to reward them, you know? And I'm, and that, it really makes sense when I think of people suffering for Christ that are unrecognized, that, that people don't even know their name when I think of rewards. That really blesses my heart when I start to think about it that way as well. So uh, you'll also be rewarded for being good stewards. Matthew chapter 25, verse 20. 
Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents, this is the one I mentioned earlier, I, I alluded to, came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. Say, I have earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. And this is parallel text with the passage I shared before, the other study, where one gets five cities, one gets ten cities to oversee. There's also a rewarding that you get for supporting Christian ministry. How many of you supported out of the goodness of your heart with goodwill, not to be seen of men, but to be pleasing to the Lord and to bless the work of the Lord? You'll be rewarded for that, rewarded for supporting Christian ministry. Listen to what Matthew 10, 41 says. I love this. The one who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person in the name of a righteous person shall receive a righteous person's reward. Well, what, how does that work? How do you, how you receive a prophet? And, and the context there is going, you know, they're ministering, they're going door to door, and people receive them into their homes. An apostle or a prophet or a minister, a godly minister of genuine righteousness and they take care of them, they feed them, they support them, they, they, they take care of them, and then they're on their way. Maybe they give them something to continue in their ministry. How do they receive a prophet's reward? How does one who serves a righteous person receive a righteous person's reward? This is heavy. Think about it. How many of you are like, man, I wish I could just minister full time. I wish I could just serve the Lord full time instead of doing the particular job that I have. But I can't because I've got to take care of a family or I'm not in a position to do that right now. But you're giving to those who are to support them in their ministry, right? They're basically standing in your shoes for you. Think about that. <laughs> those of you who are supporting people in ministry or getting the gospel out, guess what? Your money is being used to God's glory and you're going to receive the reward that they're receiving because you're supporting that ministry and basically they're in your stead. You're using your resources that you earn to help them go and get the gospel out. Does that make sense? That's pretty heavy when you think about it. I love that passage. So it's really heavy when you think about this. It's like, wow. It's like, wow, man, that guy's doing so much for the Lord. I bet he's going to get a lot of rewards. Well, guess what? You're supporting ministers like that who truly preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ and are getting the word out. Guess what? You'll receive that minister's reward, similar to what that person is getting because you are supporting that person and they're basically standing in your shoes for you in a way. That's pretty heavy when you think about that. Right after that, the very next verse, you know, uh, Jesus talks about in verse 42 and whoever gives one of these little ones just a cup of cold water to drink in the name of a disciple, truly I say to you, he shall not by any means lose his reward. So just giving someone a cold glass of water gets a reward. There's great reward in keeping God's word. Psalm 19, 10, 11 speaks of his word and his judgments are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much pure gold. More desirable than much pure gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, moreover, your servant is warned by them, by his words. In keeping them, there is great reward. In keeping God's word, there's great reward not only in this life, but the life to come. We'll also be rewarded by being kind to our enemies. Note all the incredible ways the Bible talks about being rewarded. Luke chapter 6, verses 35 and 36 says, but love your enemies, says Jesus, and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Now, how many of you, like, man, wanted to, you know, bless that person, but man, I didn't get that back. 
Oh, but Jesus said to do it. No, he didn't just say to do it. Help people out. But he said your reward will be what? Great. Don't forget that part. You see, when you start thinking these things through, they make a lot of sense as to how you approach the Christian life. And that way you don't sweat things. You're like, Lord, you're in control. It all belongs to you anyway. I'm so happy to be saved, but I'm also able to recognize that I'm blessed in giving and serving you and that you're taking care of me. And beyond that, you're not just taking care of me, you're gonna bless me beyond that which I can dream or think, as scriptures say. But love your enemies and do good and land expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil people. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. You mean I get to become more like my father? who's the most radical, awesome, wonderful God, the only one true God, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And not only in doing and becoming like him, I'm gonna get, we're gonna get great rewards. Mind-boggling. You're rewarded for being a generous giver. Matthew 19, 21 says, uh, and I, I think it's pretty powerful, that God gives graciously. God, go, says see, Jesus, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. You'll be rewarded as well for winning souls, for being a soul winner. Amen? And you know what's crazy about this? Think of it this way. You may never have personally led anybody to Jesus, you think, but guess what? If you're supporting a ministry that does, you'll receive an evangelist reward. Do you understand that? That's pretty heavy when you think about it, because guess what? You might be having to work 8, 10, 12 hours a day, you know? several hours a week, and you wish you could just be out there witnessing constantly, but you can't because you got to support a family or you got to, you know, God hasn't called you into full-time ministry like that. But guess what? You're giving to ministry that's winning souls. You're still a soul winner because that, if that's your motivation, that's your heart, to do goodwill, as we mentioned, amen, not to be seen to men, but to, be, to please God. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and guess what? Paul talked about this soul winner's crown. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. Paul speaks of this incredible crown that they will receive. A crown that he calls a crown of, he talks about joy, a crown. When he meets the people that he's witnessed to, that he won to Christ in heaven. Think, this is what he says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. For who is our hope or joy or crown? or pride in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Or is it not indeed you? For you are our glory and joy. That's pretty heavy. So uh, you're going to rejoice in people that you've been able, through ministry, being parts of ministries, what have you, seeing people one to Christ. You're going to share in the joy of seeing them there, knowing that you had a part of God using you because there's this chain of salvation that begins with God, Right? The Father, his plan of salvation through the personal Lord Jesus Christ, the work of his spirit through using you as a human agent to bring the gospel to the lost through the resources and so forth that God has used to bring about through uh, you as a person. Proverbs 11.30 says, the fruit of the righteous, the tree of life. Listen to this. Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life and he that wins souls is wise. This life is quick. Okay, it's all about getting people saved before it's over and serving the Lord and giving him glory and making his name known. And the Bible says, he that wins souls is wise. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. 
because you're extending Jesus, who is the ultimate tree of life, amen, who died on a tree and rose again so we could be saved. So it's imperative that we are witnesses. And Ezekiel 33, 6 through 9 talks about how a lot of people's hands are dripping with blood of those they haven't worn. But Paul said he was free from the blood of all men because he preached the whole counsel of God, Acts chapter 20. So I want to make sure that we're involved in ministry that's solid, that's biblical, that preaches the whole counsel of God, that preaches the goodness and the severity of God. Amen. Psalm 126 verses 5 and 6. Yeah, when you sow, when you share the good news, it can be tough. Some mission trips are a lot of fun. Some mission trips could be grueling, could be painful. You're just planting seeds. You may not see a lot of return. You may be throwing up. You may be sick. You may have some hard times. You know, you may be uh, rejected. But look at what it says in Psalm 126, verse 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears, sow the seed of God's word in tears, shall harvest with joyful shouting. One who goes here and there weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him, bringing the fruit of his labor. And guess what's going to happen, man? If you're sharing the good news of Christ with the lost, and by the way, it's awesome to be able to support ministry and praise God. We, if it wasn't for the beautiful supporters that we have with Blessed Hope and Good Fight, we wouldn't be able to touch millions of the people that we've been able to touch and still are touching. It's because people have provided resources People uh, right now as I'm doing this live stream, you know, and it's, we're locked down because of COVID, but the word of God is not held bound. Amen. We've got people that showed up today just to make sure we get the word out. People that aren't getting paid, people that are just here out of the goodness of their heart, that have other jobs and so forth are here right now today because they love Jesus and they want to get the word out and they, they love the Lord and they, they're so thankful for their salvation. But you know what scriptures say is to, for those who are winning souls, well, Daniel 12.3 says, And those who have insight will shine, like the, uh, will shine like the glow of the expanse of heaven, like the stars. And those who lead many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. That's Daniel 12.3. That's heavy, guys. And that might not mean just, you know, reaching the lost who've never come to faith. That might mean reaching the lost apostate. James 5, 19, 20 says, Brethren, if any of you turn from the truth and one brings him back, he shall save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. Look at the opportunity God has given you. That's a high calling to actually rescue people that are on their way to hell. I mean, I can't think of any higher calling than bringing people to Jesus. Amen? So, we've covered a lot of ground. And... Uh, I knew this was going to be two parts. I tried to get it into one. I knew it was going to work. So I, I just said, you know, it's got to be a two-part message and done it pretty much. I think my, my, my little clock up here says 8.29. So we made good time. But I can't wait to get into the actual text that mentioned the Bema seat and how our works will be put through the fire. There'll be wood, hay, and stubble. or There'll be like gold and silver and precious stones. Do, do your works for God's glory, folks. Get on your knees and say, God, Help me not to be a Pharisee. Help me to serve and have an audience of one. May you be my audience and may I be a blessing to everybody and may I be so thankful that you are not unjust. The scripture says it's pretty heavy in Hebrews chapter six that God is not unjust to forget the good things that you've done and that you continue to do to the saints.
pretty heavy. Love you guys. Press on to Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, we've talked about why it's important to know him. Because if you don't know him, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath, and you'll be doomed forever. But right now is the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Get right with him now, because when you can't breathe anymore, and that may be tonight, that may be tomorrow, there won't be a second chance. Right now is the only opportunity you're being given to get right with God. Cry out to him. Put your faith in Christ. Repent and turn from sin and rebellion against him. And say, God, have mercy on me. And get saved. And if you're already saved, get serious, man. I challenge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to do many, many wonderful things for his glory. Live a radical life for him and do many radical things for him because he died a radical death to save you. Amen? I love you guys. Press on in Jesus. See you Sunday.